everybody, welcome to Flyers AD. Here it is Tuesday, July 4, 2023, Independence Day here in America, or just Tuesday up in Canada. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's actually a, a day for you guys. It's not just Tuesday. Yeah, it's National Firework Day here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All it equates to more than anything. But uh, July 4th also pretty much indicates... Uh, the end of the off season, the end of the fun part of the off season, I guess the dog days of summer are upon us as uh, teams are more or less done with uh, the majority of the bulk of their moves. I'm sure we'll get some depth signings here um, in Lehigh Valley over the next little while. But for the most part, the 23-24 Flyers roster set, we are going to recap the entire off season, which, um, you know, there's been uh, a lot of positives. A lot of questionable negatives, and, uh, you know, overall, I don't think we got quite the uh, overhaul that we were expecting, at least not for me, and, you know, well, uh, overall, I was hoping for a little more. I think at the end of the day, plain and simple, you know, a little more subtraction, a little more youthful movement here for the future, and... You know, some of the uh, trades did not happen or fell through or the trigger was not pulled. And, uh, you know, because of that, there's a bit more uh, stalling here going on. Not to, you know, make a pun on that stupid idiot they signed on defense. We'll get to that sooner or later. But overall, Anthony, what's your take on the uh, offseason thus far as a whole? I think good is a good way to describe it. I don't think it's fantastic. I don't think it's exceptional, but I think it's good. I I do think that there were some people that we mentioned before we start recording here. that tried to make it more than it was like they just took the fact that the flyers were taking calls on almost every player and attempted to spin it into the flyers trading everyone and their mother um i mean i do think that there were some things that didn't happen not for the lack of effort like i do think that we would have heard a lot more trade discussions around carter hart had it not been for the hockey canada stuff I wouldn't go as far to say that he would be 100% gone if not for that, but I think that he would have been much more at the, you know, no pun intended, but at the heart of trade discussions, much like guys like Lawton and Sanheim and Travis Kadegny. And I do think he would have brought back a more significant haul than Ivan Provorov. But I do, I would not be shocked at all if that's revisited once the Hockey Canada investigation comes to light. Um, I think that Travis Sanheim was shopped endlessly i think that you saw just how difficult it was to move money in the nhl and even myself i never expected to see some of the players that got bought out or traded for nothing like go the way that they did um like you saw a guy like matt duchene who had what 70 points last year or 60 points get bought out nobody would take him even at four million dollars so I think San and Sanheim would have been traded, right? It, had it not been for Tory Krug refusing to waive his no trade clause. So uh, I do think that there were things that could have happened. I think that there was room for improvement, but I do think overall they had a good offseason. I opened it up with the Provorov trade. Yeah, I believe we have talked about that uh, since it happened. You know, it was a good deal for the Flyers, a good deal for basically all three teams involved as far as. Um, their respective goals looking to uh, come out of that deal. And then the weeks of speculation 
you know, occurred and everybody on the roster was up for sale and every rumor and all this stuff and, you know, really uh, sprinkled an edge of hope on everything. And then, you know, as, as time went on, a lot of the rumors died off. Got to the draft and they did take Mitchkov. Seventh overall, he fell into their laps. Uh, they got Oliver Bonk, 22. Uh, the, you know, right-handed defenseman who's seemingly well on the rise in terms of stock as a prospect. They got Carson Bjarnason, the top-rated North American goaltender. And uh, those were their top three picks there. Lots of boom or bust uh, guys later on. And uh, overall, the draft did well. You know, obviously Mitchkov is going to be the highlight. And that's, you know, the whole story beyond this one is when, if, are we going to see this kid? But uh, overall, you know, it does seem like the takeaway for this draft, Brent Flair does it again. A good positive takeaway for the Philadelphia Flyers to uh, keep their pipeline stocked. Yeah, and Danny Breer was able to get himself back into the second round. I think he traded, what, a, a third round, a second rounder next year and a fourth rounder this year or something. Something like that, man. And, yeah, and I do think the Flyers had a good draft. I mean, I know a lot of people lost their collective minds about taking Bonk instead of Perot, and it's the classic thing of, I want this prospect I've never seen before mm-hmm. as opposed to that one. But I do think that Brent Flair once again showed that the Flyers are in decent hands when it comes to amateur scouting and the draft. I really do think that they had a good draft based on my little, little, little knowledge. I think Corey Pronman had them rated very, very well, second behind maybe Chicago. And I, th- I think that's where they were ranked and probably just because that they came in with Bedard. But look, Matt V. Mitchkov, obviously they did a lot of homework on him. They did a lot of legwork. They tried everything to try and wow this kid into wanting to be a flyer. By all accounts, he does want to. Obviously, a lot will depend on when and if he does eventually come over. But you get a right shot defenseman. You restock the cover with some goaltending prospects. And this is all to just kind of supplement the players they already have in Cutter Gauthier and Elliot Denoyer and Emil Andre and Sam Urson and Kolosov. So, I mean providing Matt V. Mitchkov does eventually come over to the NHL and let's just assume he is for the for the um, for this exercise I do think that the Flyers finally have their crown jewel and for once in a long time you could look at their prospect pipeline and be like wow they actually have something cooking here they traded Kevin Hayes to St. Louis there was that weekend um, leading up to the draft there with all the rumors and crazy big trades with St. Louis, and ultimately that fell through because of Tory Krug. They ended up trading Hayes for a sixth-round pick but retained half of his salary, $3,571,428, million to round up. You know, they got rid of the player uh, who, you know, he and John Tortorella have apparently uh, got to the impasse where they cannot even stand to look at each other. And like some pageant queens that they are. And, uh, you know, you got rid of the player, but that salary, you know, $3.5 million on the books until the summer of 2026. You know, probably in terms of just that specific deal, obviously it fell apart from what it could have been. But uh, kind of sucks. Kind of sucks to, to get nothing to move that salary. But that's just, you know, the state of the salary cap and the hard cap in the NHL these days. Yeah, you know, we saw that. And, you know, I had been told throughout the season that there would be a market for Kevin Hayes probably in that four to five million dollar range but I think that was when it was believed that the cap would be jumping to about 88 million and look it's not just the Flyers right I think that when Ryan Johansson got traded for nothing quite literally at four million dollars 
it really kind of set. Yeah, the that didn't help. <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. Like Johansson's a better player, a younger player on a shorter contract, and he went for the rights to Alex Galchenyuk. So I mean, I think that kind of tied the hands of the Flyers. As one person told me, it fucked everyone trying to move money. <laughs> Literally, those were the words. And then you look at Josh Bailey going for nothing, Kyler the Yamamoto going for nothing, Matt Duchesne, who had a like he's not a bad player. Like no. these are good. Like Johansson, Hayes, Duchesne, these are good hockey players. Josh Bailey, like they're not bad players. This wasn't like trying to move like Andrew McDonald or Vinny LeCavalier from 2015. It's just the current climate of the NHL that there is just absolutely no space for anyone, specifically in that three to five million dollar range, because you and most teams are just so top heavy. So, I mean, look, uh, I, I don't fault Danny Briere and company for not being to move Kevin Hayes for more. I think just getting out from half of that contract and clearing the roster spot and getting a six round pick was good. Now, obviously, getting a first-round pick from St. Louis would have been more ideal. But at the same time, you would have been, you know, bringing in a, uh, how old, 32-year-old Tory Krug uh, locked and loaded until 2027 at $6.5 bucks. Now, you're kind of still stuck with tra Travis Sanheim, but at least you can make the, the argument that he's, what, five years younger than Tory Krug. But you would have gotten that extra first-round draft pick. You know, you would have had three first-rounders instead of two. So, I mean... It is kind of unfortunate that it ended up just being Kevin Hayes at 50% for what it was. And then we get to free agency, and this is where the fun momentum of the offseason came to a screeching friggin' halt. To no one's surprise. They opened it up to Ryan Poling. I believe that's how you pronounce that last name. Paling. Paling? Eh, fucking close enough. Who cares? <laughs> This guy, you know, the Flyers needed some main roster center depth, especially since Lazinski is, you know, deep in John Tortorella's doghouse. I could talk about Lazinski in a bit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's not going to produce much of anything. He's going to live exclusively to kill penalties on the fourth line. He's still 24, RFA at the end of the season. Fine. 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 Who cares? Rhett Gardner, the Flyer, or the Phantoms rather, lost Cal O'Reilly and Artem Anisimov this summer. So they desperately needed some center depth. Where uh, did Anisimov go? Back to Russia, I assume. Ah, came out of uneventful uh, return. More or less came out of retirement. Played, I mean, listen, for what it's worth, Artem Anisimov played a huge role for the Phantoms last season. Um, I'm almost surprised that he didn't come back. I don't know if he flat out retired or not, but... Um, you know, he he played a massive role for that team last year, not only as a leader in the room, which I think everybody raved about at some point or another, all the players in their interviews did, but um, a massive um, talent as well. And this guy was just phenomenal. You can tell he was a long-tenured veteran, that he knew what he was doing, that he stole some gas in the tank. You know, he was, he was much better served as a top-six center in Lehigh last season than he would have been the fourth-line plug-in in the NHL that he was supposed to be had he not gotten hurt during training camp. So, thank you, Artem Anisimov. Your sacrifice is not in vain. And uh, they brought in this Rhett Gardner guy. Did not know he existed uh, before <laughs> the other day, but uh, overall looks like one of those fine little uh, AHL center guys. Maybe he'll be your 14th forward, 15th forward if uh, injuries start to occur in the NHL level. But overall, you know, he's going to um, join Elliot Desnoyers and I assume J.R. Avon as your uh, center depth highlighting the AHL next season. So, whoop-de-doo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Paling is someone, you know, 24 years old, former first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens, never really lived up to the pre-draft hype. 
I do think this is something that could turn into more of a long-term fixture. Do I think it will be? Probably not. But at least there is some upside to this. And I was told that last night that with Paling, it isn't just about signing a veteran who you're probably going to trade this year and next for a draft pick. Like there's probably a, there's there is an opening here for Ryan Paling to cement himself as an NHLer and a bottom sixer for the Flyers. You know, he's a center or a left wing, both positions of need for the Flyers. I do think that their center ice position is getting, I guess, more filled up than we initially thought. You know, with a returning Sean Katori, the emergence of Noah Cates, what's going to come of Elliot Denoye when Cutter Goetze eventually makes the jump? Will he be a center or a left wing? But I do think Paling, if he plays his cards right, could be, you know, a bottom six left wing centerman, kind of in the same vein as Scott Lawton. I think that would be kind of his biggest ceiling if uh, he could ever get there. So at least with Paling, there is a bit of a... Uh, of a uh, upside play Gardner don't know much about him, but I think both guys are on the larger side. I do think, well, I was told that was something that they were looking to do. So, I mean, both are, you know, uh, low risk signings. And in the case of Paling, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle with him and he turns into a Scott Lawton type. Yeah. Perfectly fine risk reward. Fourth liner, you know, he'll, he'll be fine. He's 24. Who cares? And it works. It's a one-year deal. It doesn't work out. You don't qualify him next summer, and you move on. The next two and last two signings here are hands down the most baffling moves of the offseason. Garnet Hathaway signs a two-year, uh, 2.3 mil AAV contract. And Mark Stahl, of all fucking people in the year of our Lord 2023, Mark Stahl is a Philadelphia Flyer, $1.1 million for just one year. So where a lot of the uh, good grace kind of ended with Dan the Flyer fan. These moves are completely and totally baffling, completely and totally unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. And you know, one of the one of the things that I remember the most from Chuck Fletcher's tenure was the interview he gave after he traded Eric Gustafson at the deadline in 2020. I guess it would have been 2021 when he talked about redundancies in the lineup and that you don't need multiple players serving the same role, especially when they're a bunch of depth guys, right? Well, you doubled down with Garnet Hathaway when you already have Nick Delorier on the roster. Oh, and by the way, Garnet Hathaway is a right wing, just in case you didn't have enough of those. And Mark Stahl is here, even though you have Nick Sealer. Yeah, I don't, I don't get either one of these moves. You know, the thing that's been paired, well, they're going to play them this year, then trade them at the deadline so you can get extra fifth-round picks. Whoop the fucking do. Hathaway, I mean, at least is fine. You know, like, I don't think you he's need it. He's a good it. player. He's a, I, he's a good player. Like, Delorier's been a good player as well. Hathaway's probably going to be fine. You know, between... Uh, Delorier, Hathaway, and Paling, they had a combined 213 penalty minutes last season. So, <laughs> you know, Broad Street Bullies are coming back on that fourth line. Mark Stahl, completely fucking baffling. I don't know what they were thinking with this one. Again, one year, so it doesn't, like, in the long term, none of this shit matters. In the short term, completely and utterly perplexed. Um, you already have Nick Sealer kind of serving that 6-7 role as a left-handed defenseman. You know, if they were going to hunt down anybody for that role, you know, as as another fallback option on defense, you would assume it would be a right-handed defenseman and somebody that doesn't entirely suck who's 36 years old. But they opted for Mark Stahl instead. 
though, you know, just, uh, you really, uh, took the feel-good off-season and left it on a real sour note with these two, as far as I'm concerned. In the case of Hathaway, I, I don't mind it. I think that even by the metrics, he's probably been regarded as one of, if not the best, fourth liners over the last few years. It is a bit perplexing, you know, a right wing, but... I guess to me, I don't mind Hathaway just because, to, to be honest, this is just a guilty pleasure of mine. I do think Delory Paling and Hathaway is going to be a really fun fourth line to watch. Um, not just because that they're going to forecheck hard and Hathaway and Delory will try and beat everybody up, but I do think that they're decent hockey players for fourth line roles. And I mean, I guess theoretically Hathaway takes the spot of Wade Allison, but I was speaking to someone last night and they actually are expecting Allison to play in the top nine. Like they are expecting bigger things from Wade Allison. So I, I mean, I've always thought that Allison was comparable to a Scott Hartnell and Hartnell was always able to play either wing. I thought Wade Allison was so horribly misused last season. You know, what made him so effective in Lehigh was letting him play offense. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's going to do it with reckless abandon. He's not going to play that perfect defensive style that Torts loves, but that is how you get the most out of that player. Last season, when he was strapped to the fourth line and forced to play a defensive game, you really cut off what made him to be good, right? Yeah. So if you can elevate him into the top nine, you know, right now, we'll you know, get to this in a little while here, but the roster seems pretty compact in the NHL, but there does appear to be one middle six left wing slot pretty yep. much open for the taking at this point. So whether it's Allison ultimately playing on the left or one of the other right wingers moving to the left, there is one winger spot yep. there for Wade Allison to hopefully, theoretically, get a little more trust from John Tortorella this year and show what he's actually got in this lineup. Yeah, I agree. Like, there is a spot there for Allison. Like, I don't think this is Allison competing against Hathaway. I think it's Allison competing against Forster and Brink, in my opinion. And, you know, you look at it and you theoretically could plug him beside a Cates or a Couturier and then presumably a Tippett or an Atkinson on the other side but I do think that Allison is in a spot here that if you could become versatile enough and this goes for anyone right this goes for Owen Tippett who we saw play left wing at times last year this goes to a Cam Atkinson who in a lot of ways is probably hanging on for dear life after missing a full season of being a relevant NHLer he should be the guy to get bumped to the left wing yeah, I uh, him, I believe. I, I It should be Atkinson or probably Tippett, just because Tippett, we saw him play that role at times last year, and he kind of has like a Lupul vibe, and Lupul at times could shift wings. But I, I don't think that Hathaway being brought in is, oh my God, he's taking Allison's role. Like, I don't think Hathaway's involvement has any bearing on whether or not Wade Allison is a fixture in this lineup. And nor should it. Like, I mean, even a Ryan Paley, like maybe you could say Tanner Lazinski, but like, in Lazinski's case, if you can't beat out Ryan Paling, like it kind of tells you what needs to be said, right? And for Lazinski, you know, I was told last night that had a bad year last year, and there you have no issue waving him if if push comes to shove. And it's unfortunate, but I also think that in the case of Lazinski, it seems like the short-term solution is Ryan Paling, and the long-term solution is Dan Y.A. So, I mean, I don't put Lazinski in the same vein as Wade Allison, but I think Allison, it's not like he's boxed out here. As long as they give him a fair shot, which I think they will, like you said, there is a winger spot open in that middle six for the taking. And he really only has Forster and Brink and probably Luxell to compete against. Like, 
it's all in his own hands. I really do think it's in his own hands. And, you know, I had someone tell me last night that talent-wise, they're putting him in that lineup. Like, as of right now, they believe that he's a top-nine forward on this team. So it's his spot to lose. I just think that Allison could maybe do himself a bit of favors if he can learn to play the left side. But to your point, I do think it is a bit on John Tortorella to use him correctly. And by all accounts, the Garnet Hathaway signing should theoretically ensure that he's going to be used in the top nine. Theoretically, yeah. But obviously, that's a very theoretical question. Mm -hmm. In the case of Mark Stahl, like you said, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't matter. Not really. It reeks of John Tortorella. (laughs) And, you know, I played for him in a significant role with the New York Rangers going back into Tortorella's days. Uh, we could get into Tortorella's involvement with the lineup construction. We will. Probably. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like you said, it doesn't really matter. Um, I had someone told me, tell me last night they would be shocked if he played all 82 games. Um, I think this is kind of indicative of them believing that maybe Ronnie Adder needs some more time in the AHL. You could probably answer that better than me. He does not. He does not? You think he could play? He should be playing. There's no reason why you're 24-year-old right-handed defenseman, especially if they trade friggin' Tony D'Angelo. You know, there's absolutely no reason why he or Zamula, quite frankly, at this point should be in the AHL. Well, Zamula has to go through waivers, so he's going to play. Yeah, he's going to be on the roster. He's not going to play. He's going to be on the roster. So, because at, before the Mark Stahl signing, I had it as York Ristolainen, Sanheim Adderd, Zamula Walker or Sealer. That should be what's going on. Yes. Now, Mark Stahl theoretically shouldn't change that. You should just. Theoretically, but they did not bring this guy in to ride the bench and just sit around and be, you know, John Tortorella to human translator here. I could see them playing a lot of 7D. Um, You know, they did that at times last year. Um, I don't know what their plan is with Sean Walker. Um, Obviously, he was brought in as a, a cap dump. But I do think Walker is a better player than Mark Stahl. I think historically he's a better player than Nick Sealer, but obviously Nick Sealer had a good year last year. I mean, in my mind, you should have Adderd playing and Zamula playing and two of those three sitting. Um, We're going to see what happens with Ronnie Adderd. If Ronnie Adderd has to start the year in the AHL, then obviously that opens up a spot. I don't know. Because even in the AHL now, right, well, Wiley's gone. Wiley's gone, but you added Helge Granz, and Owen Sampson is making the jump, and they re-signed Louis Belpetto. So your right side is accounted for in the AHL. So it feels to me, it feels to me that one way or another, they are going to be carrying eight defensemen, which isn't a bad thing if, let's say, your, you know, your extras are stall and sealer playing as like your fourth pair in practice, that makes, that would be fine. Like if that was the case that they carried eight D and stall and either sealer or Walker were the eight, were the, uh, the other spare, would you think that would be okay? If Zamul and Adder are seeing a bulk of the ice time and sealer and stall are used as seventh and eighth, you know, the occasional matchup friendly uh, moves, you know, swapping them in and out, Fine. 
<laughs> but that you know that's the whole question of are they going to uh, play their cards right and play the kids and that I mean that at the end of the day I think has been my biggest frustration with this offseason is the lack of movement of the top of the roster. Konechny's still here. Lawton's still here. Katuri and Atkinson are coming back. Sanheim's still here. And so your top of the lineup is accounted for, you know. And then they further compacted that problem with Hathaway and Stahl and keeping Sealer. And, you know, I, I don't really... You did not open roster spots for any of your forwards. Forrester... Denoyer, Lexell, Brink, they're more than likely on the AHL again. And your defense, even though Zamula is probably going to make the main roster, unless they wave the guy, which at this point, who the fuck knows? You know, and if Adder has to start in the AHL, I mean, you... you <laughs> what? Listen, my main takeaway from all of this is, like, I was hoping that they would play the kids next year. And if you have read my Twitter timeline at all... The Flyers should be playing the kids during a rebuild is one of, if not the most controversial takes Dan the Flyer fan has ever had, apparently. <laughs> because, boy, people are angry at me that I don't see the value in Garnet Hathaway and Mark Stahl coming to the roster here. You know, I... I, I you're rebuilding. This team's gonna suck. Play the kids. You know, and, and you know, the, the, the rebuttal I always get on this one is, well, if Tyson Forster can't beat out Garnet Hathaway for a roster spot, if Igor Zamola can't beat out Mark Stahl for a roster spot, they should not have to beat out these guys in the first place. Like, these kids, these prospects, these guys that are ready, that need to be ready because of their age, like Ronnie Haddard, they should be taking priority right now. They should. That is just what should have happened this summer. And because you didn't clear the main roster, and because you added all these random plugins, you you did a very good job of just overcrowding the roster, and there is a chance none of them are in the open night lineup, even if Zamula makes the team, based on his contract situation. That is bullshit. That's bullshit. That really, really kind of grinds my gears in all this one. And, you know, there is a blind allegiance to Danny Breer right now. And every move he makes is just the greatest move a general manager has ever made. And they can muster. And I cannot wait until about December when Mark Stahl is playing every night. And people are begging to take him out of the lineup because he absolutely sucks. That's going to be a good day. Because I'm going to have a lot of fun. But in the short term here, I don't understand what they were going for this summer. You know, I get money is hard to move. I get they couldn't, like, you couldn't find a partner, a trade partner for Travis Konechny. You couldn't find one for Scott Lawton. And, and, and guarantee Forrester has a spot. It's just, it's so frustrating to me at the end of the day that you're rebuilding, but you're not actually rebuilding. You know, Mark Stahl is 36. Garnet Hathaway is 31. Sean Couture is coming back. He's going to be 31 in December. Cam Atkinson is 34. You know, this is just... Not the way a rebuild should be done. And, you know, the Mark Stahl thing is, well, you know, <laughs> there are two sides of the same argument, right? Is, he's not going to play every night, Daniel. Don't worry about it. You're going to work him over nothing. And then on the same breath, they tell me, oh, well, they're going to trade him at the deadline for assets. Well, if you're going to trade the guy at the deadline for assets, that means you're going to have to play him so he has some kind of value, right? And even then, what kind of value does Mark Stahl have at a deadline? It's just, there's so much about this that, that I think was really just, you know, perceived as negative, all negative Dan here for wanting the Flyers to, to play their kids. But at the end of the day, you know, if they traded some of these top guys, 
And some of these younger guys were going to walk up into this lineup and, and, and make the team and be good. And we're going to trial by fire next year. I'd be happy right now. But, uh, you know, the, the kind of underwhelming movement capped off by these random depth guys. Boy, it really uh, left a real sour note for me as far as rebuilding, building around your prospects. Because most of them are pretty much boxed out at this point through one way or another. Um, I agree with you a lot on the defensive side, um, because I just, I didn't really get the point of Mark Stahl and, and you do make a good point. Like what kind of value is he going to have at the deadline? Even best right? case, what kind of value does he have? Let alone worst case. Yeah. Garnet Hathaway, you get, no, maybe it's just my guilty pleasure of maybe going to watch him play because I actually do think he's a, a good hockey player for given his role. Um, and I don't think that. You know, like, you don't want a Lixell or a Forster or a Brink to make the team as a fourth liner. So I don't mind that. Um, then they should have traded Konechny, so Forster can have a top six spot. Well, that, that's that's a fair point. I, I just mean, like, the Hathaway signing in a nutshell, I don't mind it. And I do think that is a guy that you can get decent value for at a trade deadline, whether it be this year or next year, whatever. And like I said, I just think watching Nick DeLorean, Garner Hathaway run around, put people to the boards is going to be kind of fun. And I do think that they're both solid hockey players for fourth line role. But I do think that there is... There's a time and a place for Hathaway. And we talked about this a lot with DeLorean last summer. There's a time and a place for these guys on your roster. Absolutely. Yeah. I just don't think now's the time. Yeah, and that's that's honestly fair. I, I think, and I think that this was a playoff weird. team. If this was the Toronto Maple Leafs who are going out of their way to you know Ryan Reeves and crazy shit like that, there's a time and a place for that. It's yeah. just uh, you could win with these guys on your roster as a fourth line. Sure, um, and, and you know what? That's very that's a fair point. And maybe this is where we should have the discussion of does John Tortorella have too much say in what's going on? You know, this is a talking point we've touched on quite a few times on frequent flyer over the last, you know, six months, whatever it's been four months. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the guys that were noticeably in his doghouse were the ones that were ultimately (laughs) moved, you know, except for Provorov, except for Provorov. I'm surprised he survived and Sanheim did not, but, uh, everybody else, you know, you just, you got your teeth kicked in, in the Hayes trade. Because they couldn't get along, because they're a pair of prima donnas. You boxed out Lazinski, who he didn't like. You theoretically boxed out Allison, though you know, he may compete for a spot, but he's not a guaranteed one anymore. You know who he didn't like. It's just—it's <laughs> funny that we talked. You know, he, he Tortorella was adamant about his roster subtractions, and it was always, well, it's probably going to be the guys he doesn't like. And you know, at this point, it's uh, <laughs> pretty obviously the guys he doesn't like. And then you go out for no reason and get Mark Stahl. And even Briere during his press conference yesterday was like, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a big Tortorella guy. <laughs> you know, like that's this sole reason that he's here essentially is because he's you know, besties with Tortorella. So it is kind of interesting. And, you know, and maybe some of the lack of movement as well. Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny, guys like that, that should have theoretically been traded because their value is at its peak. Should have moved them for assets, and, you know, did Tortorella have a say in ultimately squashing that and making sure that his de facto captain didn't go anywhere or his favorite forward in Konechny didn't go anywhere? You know, I, I think this guy had a little more say in the roster construction than we think at face value. And it's not necessarily a 
bad thing or a negative thing, but it is a slightly concerning thing. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I had people cite, well, he played Noah Cates last year. He played, you know, Noah Tippett last year, and he did. And that was great. And I'm glad he did. But here's the thing. You've got another half dozen prospects in the AHL that can reasonably play in the NHL this year. You know, you can't just fall on the laurels of, well, he played Noah Cates well. <laughs> you know, you got you have to continue that cycle of incorporating this youth, of passing on from these veterans, you know, the Konechnys and Lawtons and adding the Forsters and Brinks to the world. You know, that's the kind of, of movement, the one foot in front of the other process here that needs to happen that is now questionably stalled going into the year. It could happen. You know, they could come to their senses at some point in the main roster, you know, in November, December, like they did with Cam York last year, and call them up eventually. But at face value, this should not be this big of a friggin' struggle to begin with, right? Like, you should be playing the kids during a rebuild, which is a hot take for some reason. <laughs> well, here's my thing with it, is that, well, the only justification that I could give for wanting... Guys like Lixell and Forster and Brink to once again play in the AHL is because I don't think they had a lot of graduations this year. Like I think not at forward, no. I think it was J.R. Avon. Pretty much it. I yeah. think that was yeah. I think that was the only guy. And so I mean, I guess for them, they're saying we have one more year before we get a lot of more graduations because you look at the what the forwards could look like next year. Like, Paling's an RFA, Allison's an RFA, Lazinski's a UFA, and then, uh, you know, even Cam Atkinson. Like, I mean, they're expected to come back, Katorian Atkinson, but, like, is there a guarantee that these guys are, like, healthy all year? And especially after especially this season. Especially not Couturier. Yeah, and then, like, even Atkinson, like, you know, we talked about maybe a buyout, but, like... One year left uh, at 5.8 mil, you can buy that out. Or it should be significantly easier to move if the cap actually goes up next summer. So exactly. And like, you know, the Flyers have been destroyed by injuries the last two seasons. Like, so, you know, we're accounting for complete health. But if there's not complete health, which there hasn't been, specifically at forward, I think that like they could very easily see a lot of time for guys like Forster and guys like Denoye moving forward here. Now, I do agree with that maybe you should have leaned a bit more into the rebuild with like Konechny and Lawton were obviously lightning rods. Carter Hart I'm not even touch because that there's reasons beyond yeah. just hockey related ones. And you can't fault Danny Breer for that, I think. Um, but you know, Konechny, I understand why they set the price exceptionally high because for two reasons. One, he's still younger ish. And he is your best forward, and he could theoretically still be here when you do start to get good and be like that, you know, that third guy to a Michkov and a Goatsy and whatever. And also because the longer you hold on to him, if he keeps playing this way, the more his value will rise. Well, that's a big if, though. Yeah. Historically, he's not, uh, you know, been the most consistent point producer of all time. So I, I do think with Konechny that... I think that you're fine with Konechny just because of his age, his contract. It's not exceptionally long, his deal, either. The cap will go up next year. I think Konechny, they played their cards right, uh, honestly. Lawton is where it scares me a bit. Because Scott Lawton, three years, $3 million left, obviously has value throughout the NHL. 
obviously the de facto captain loved by John Tortorella, but are you overvaluing the intangibles? And we always say, we don't know what's going on in the room. We don't try and, you know, diminish or overvalue what those intangibles could mean. But, you know, they turned down a first round pick for Scott Lawton. I just wonder if maybe you missed the boat and that's no slight against Scott Lawton. I think he's a great player. I think he's been a great pro for this team. I think on a winning team, he could be a solid 4C or solid 3 left wing. I think that's always kind of been his calling on a competitor. I just I just wonder if this was kind of the time to strike while the iron was hot. Like, you could have really made do or you could have really benefited, rather, from an additional first-round pick. And again, I don't think you would, from an on-ice perspective, I don't think you would have lost all that much with moving on from Scott Lawton. So I think of all the moves that weren't made, and we could get into Travis Sanheim in a bit, but between Konechny and Lawton, I don't mind hanging on to Konechny because I think that you could eventually get that value you're looking for, and at worst case, he is still a very good player and could be a good player for a long time on this team, given his age. But Lawton's the one that really has me kind of raising an eyebrow. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, both of players were at their respective peaks in their career value-wise right now. Lawton, because of the intangibles, he also had a career best, what, 18 goals and 40-some points this year. Yep. You know, Konechny had his, finally hit the 30-goal mark, point-per-game guy through 60 games. You know, both their contracts are reasonable. The, the reason, I think the more reason to trade Konechny is just because his value is at his high, and you've got three dozen right wings on this roster right now that could have easily taken his spot. Okay, fine. You want to wait and see what his value is next summer? Fine, more power to you. But Lawton, man, like, I get they value the intangibles. And for what it's worth, I do too. You know, I think you can tear things down too far. You know, the Buffalo Sabres at their worst, the Edmonton Oilers at their worst, the Coyotes, when you just bring in a bunch of random dudes that don't care, and, you know, you, you got to build some level of culture behind the scenes. You know, I do think there is a lot of truth to that. Yeah, it is a thing. Like, we're not going to diminish it, And, you know, losing Lawton at this point in time would have sucked. Now, you did have, you know, Cam Atkinson waiting to come back, who is certainly going to serve that same role, and now you're bringing in Hathaway for leadership purposes. So, you know, I don't think that would have necessarily been the biggest impact in the world had you kept everyone else but gotten rid of Lawton, you know. And that one, I, I'm just kind of baffled by the, the lack of movements there, especially with those two, you know, were, were your highest value pieces you had. You know, you had to get rid of Hayes. You know, had to eat half of his contract to do so. It's really stupid, but whatever. You know, these were the guys in terms of net positive trade values here, connecting Lawton, and, you know, Hartwood rounded that out, but obviously there are outside factors there, that you could have moved for, for stuff this summer, and they did not, and now you're banking on them, you know, being at this high level, even at the trade deadline again in March. You know, what happens if Konechny has 35 points next year? What happens if Lawton misses 50 games with another concussion? You know, like, all of a sudden, you, their value is heavily diminished from what it was right now. You know, there there is the could have struck, uh, strike, strike, struck, whatever it is. Struck. <laughs> <laughs> struck while the iron was hot this season while both their values were at their peak, rather than say, okay, we're going to hope that they're still good at the trade deadline or 2024. It just feels like a very missed opportunity, especially with Lawton. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I agree 100%. Like, 
you do want to set that good culture, but you do bring up a very good point with the returning Atkinson and Couturier. Like, I hate saying this because I love Cam Atkinson as a player, but, like, he just feels so, like... He is so out of place right now. Yeah, like, Couturier, you could at least be like, well, you know, the contract isn't terrible, even if he comes mm. back at... It's, it could be worse, let's just say. Like, if he comes back at 75% of what he once was and the cap gets up to 90 million plus... You know, it's. I don't think it's terrible. What do you it, think they do with that, that guy, Katoria? Yeah. What do you, do you think... want him to do? Well, like, what, there's nothing. To uh, do, I, right? I, I should rephrase that. How do you think they deploy him as a roster player next year? Do you think he's just going to come back and take the one C, or do you think no. they're going to concede to Frost and Cates as a one and two, and try and savor Katoria as a three C and keep his longevity here because he's you know now a injury riddled mess with seven years left on his contract. I think so because here's the thing is that given where salaries are going in two years time, 7.75 million will be like the going rate for an exceptional three C low end two C Pierre-Luc Dubois just signed eight and a half million dollars. I think he's Is he the most overvalued player in the league? It's it's a fair question. I don't think he's ever eclipsed more than 65 points. I just think he's a guy who's a big centerman who had a really good showing in the playoffs 3 years ago. And I think people have kind of latched onto that. But you you look at what elite centermen are going for now. Like Matthews is going to get minimum 13 million dollars, maybe even 14. So a 2C, like we're seeing with kind of Horvat and Paling, not Paling, what the fuck, Dubois and Larkin, I think is like an 8 to $9 million player nowadays. So Sean Couturier right now is being paid kind of like a middle-of-the-road 2C in the NHL. With the Which cap at in- best is maybe what you get right now. Exactly. But in two to three years from now... When he's in a wheelchair... When he's in a wheelchair, $7.75 million will be the going rate for a really good 3C. It'll look good tucked away on LTIR for a long time. <laughs> so theoretically, if he could be that, that would be a success. So why not deploy him as such right away? And They should absolutely point, not keep him on heavy minutes. Like, But why would you? There's, there's no reason. Why would you? To... Because he's the de facto 1C and everybody else sucks. Tortorella's going to wake well, up one day and go, fuck, I don't like Morgan Frost anymore. Throw Sean Couturier to play 30 minutes a night. For me, I wouldn't play him more than 15 minutes a night because I think that long-term... Given you should his be savoring his longevity at this point. Exactly, because if you could... If, let's say, when this team is ready to be good or relevant in, let's say, two years, let's just use an arbitrary number, two years, because they really don't know. I've heard that many times. They don't know. It's going to depend a lot on how kids develop. There is no hard deadline here. If he could be 70% of what he once was, give you 50 points, really good defensive minutes, and the cap is north of $90 million, that's okay. So for me, if I'm the Flyers right now, my third line is Sean Couturier with Cam Atkinson and Wade Allison or Joel Farabee or something like that or whatever. And that's your defensive shutdown line. And that's it. That's what you do. Because in three years from now, if Sean Couturier is still playing that role, but instead of Atkinson, you have, I don't 
know, Bobby Brink, and on the left side you have Lexell, let's say, like, that's fine. Because you're always going to need a defensive 3C. You're always going to need that Phil Deneau type of player. And if the cap is north of $90 million, $7.75 million won't seem that bad. And you're not going to have him playing 20 minutes a night. So if you could get him playing 14, 15 minutes a night from here on out, assuming he's even healthy, because he's expected to come back. But like we said earlier, I don't think it's a slam dunk. Two back surgeries is a hell of a mountain overcome. Exactly. So, I mean... I don't know if you kind of get the rationale I'm going for here. No, I I, I understand. Uh, you know, you, if I was them, he's your three C for the rest of time as long as he's healthy. You know, they're, they're, let him focus specifically on shutdown roles and penalty kill and that stuff. You know, I don't think this guy should be looked upon as your one C seventy point. You know, offensive, but there's just no reason he may not even be able to keep up with that kind of role anymore. You know, two back surgeries is a hell of a thing to overcome for a normal human being, let alone a professional athlete, you know, playing at a you know relatively high level as the NHL. So, you know, we have to see what kind of condition this guy's even in first. But, yeah, if he's good to go to some level of degree, he should be stapled to your 3C for the rest of time. And, you know, it's probably not the best use of funds at this point, but if his defensive game can be, you know, even 75% of what it was, that should be, you know, at least decent for the time being. Yeah. And like we said, like, I mean, the center ice position to me, obviously still somewhat of a point of concern, but like you're missing some high I end think, talent, but your depth is filling out. Yeah. You know, you have Denway, you have Kate, whatever Morgan Frost, J.R. Avon, J.R. Avon, who knows what Cutter Goatsy is going to be. I mean, it's you don't need Sean Couturier to be more than what he is. Like, I think you have a lot of candidates here to be long-term two-sees in Noah Cates and Morgan Frost and maybe Cutter Goatsey, who knows where he lands. You are looking for that top-end talent, but obviously if you have Matt Mitchkov, maybe you could get away with, like, a non-traditional one see if you have an elite top-line player like that. But I just think that given where they are, if you just condition Sean Couturier to be a 3C from here on out, this is exactly the type of role that he needs to be. Because even his salary in a few years' time will suggest as much. Like I said, like you're, you're giving high-end second-line centers right now close to $9 million. So if the cap rises by 5 to $8 million over the next two to three seasons— why would 7.75 seem egregious for a very good 3C? So I think that's the way that you got to go. I think it will conserve him and limit his ice time. I think that one of the major issues with him has been because that they've rode him into the ground since he was 18 years mm-hmm. old. So maybe they could try and reverse that trend on the back nine of his career. But I mean, I, I don't see a major issue with Sean Katori as your 3C for the long term if you deploy him properly. Yeah. Travis Sanheim, this, this shithead, new eight-year $50 million contract officially kicked in on July 1st, as did his full no-trade for the next full years. <sighs> Great. Awesome. Travis Sanheim, still here. May very well be your number one left-handed defenseman, depending on if they are gracious enough to move York back to the left side or not. Great. Wonderful. Yeah, the 
Sanheim's a tough one, right? Because here's the thing. I do see the value in having veterans in your top four to play with younger guys, not just bum defensemen like Stahl or Sealer or Walker. You know, it's not even fair to say about Walker. I've never seen him play. But in the sense of, let's say, when they had like McDonald and Goudis playing in your top four, right? Like, you want guys who are capable top four defensemen, which, to their credit, Ristolainen and Sanheim are. And if memory serves you correctly, you could correct me on this if I'm wrong. Um, Ristolainen and York were a very good pair last year, right? I think Ristolainen's had decent success. You know, he, had, he was good with uh, Sanheim in 21-22. And then last year, he, he did ride with York for at least a little while. Um, but York was primarily playing on the right side as well. Um with Sealer and then eventually Provorov. So I'm sure they saw ice time together at some point. Um, but yeah, I think Risto, you know, Risto is, is you know, obviously hated because he's tall, but uh, for the <laughs> most part has been decent for, you know, with the, with the exception of the first 10 games or so last season. And uh, that was kind of brutal, but everything else, you know, he, he's been fine more or less. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I want him being your number one right-handed defenseman in, at this point, but it seems like that's the role he's going to fill. Yeah, just because they have no other option. Which is ironic, because that was the entire point of bringing him in, was we're going to cut his minutes, and he's going to be a really good number two. And, oh, just kidding. He's back to being a <laughs> de facto number one. It's kind of weird, because he was brought in to be, like, that second pair right shot guy, to mm -hmm. your point, of four or five lower minutes. But now it's like his role is kind of changing to, no, he's going to be, like, that steady Eddie beside a young defenseman mm -hmm. like Cam York. And... To Bradshaw's credit, that's what he turned Ristolainen into, just like a calming presence on the back end, which, I mean, it's kind of indicative of the shape of the blue line. But I do think, you know, this is why I never really had an issue with that re-signing, aside from the fact that you could have gotten assets for him, which is fair. But $5 million for the role that Ristolainen's going to play, I don't think is that bad. And he is by far the best partner for Cam York at this juncture, in my opinion. I don't see how you can make the case otherwise. And I truly do believe that he is a good partner for York, and unfortunately is he going to be your de facto number one uh, right-shot defenseman. Sanheim, look, the contract isn't great. The term is even worse. Um, I do think, like Katoria, the AAV will be fine. Um, I think that it's, you know, fair given what guys like Severson and Uyghur have gone for. It's just unfortunate given where this team is at organizationally in the middle of a rebuild or at the start of a rebuild, rather. Um, I do see the value in Travis Sanheim. Like I didn't, I didn't like the thought of just giving Sanheim away for nothing and not replacing him with a quality left shot D, which is why Krug would have made sense. A more experienced guy only $25,000 more expensive, shorter term. It checks so many boxes, right? You can't get that done because Krug doesn't wave his no trade clause. So Sanheim is still here. I see the value in Travis Sanheim as playing with a Ronnie Adder. Like I rather, like, again, this is all assuming that Adder makes the team, but I rather play Adder or even a Zamula, even though I know he's a left shot, but a younger D, just for example, with a Sanheim than a Sealer or a Walker or a Stahl. I think that Sanheim is a good, for the most part, second pair defenseman. 
I rather have a younger defenseman play with a guy like Sanheim than a career bottom pair guy like Walker, Staller, Sealer. So obviously you would have rather see the contract moved. You would have rather see an asset brought in. Tory Krug would have made more sense as a veteran on a shorter term, maybe an overall better player historically. But I do think from an on-ice perspective, there is a value to Travis Sanheim. And maybe it's just because I'm scarred from the Provorov, Goss, ironically enough, Sanheim days where they all, were all brought up to the NHL with no legitimate partners to play with. And you saw them all get affected individually by it. Provorov probably more, the most prominently and even Shane Goss's beer to an extent. So I do think having Sanheim there on the left side to play with a younger right shot guy, like an Adderd, maybe eventually like a Helgi Grands, maybe eventually like an Oliver Bonk does have some value. I mean, I guess Sanheim and Risto are better partners for York and Adderd than, you know, they're, they're Walker pro, and than their Provorov, uh, Provorov Gossesbury equivalents of, you know, Andrew McDonald and Radko Gudis. Christian Foline. Christian Foline. Oh, <laughs> well, well that's what I was talking yeesh. about with someone yesterday is that, like, if you have Risto on the right side in your top four and Sanheim on the left side in your top four to flex and be partners for York and Andre or Grons and Adder, like, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I remember firsthand seeing Provorov play with an Andrew McDonald or seeing Gossespierre play with Robert Hag, who was young in his own right, but was playing second pair with Shane Gossespierre or Christian Foline or trying to force feed Radko Gudis into a top four role. I don't know. I just, I see the value of having these guys there. Like I would have absolutely hated my life right now if I had to see Cam York go play alongside Sean Walker and Ronnie Adder go play alongside Mark Stahl on the second pair. You know, like, I don't think that helps anyone. It could be worse, I suppose, but uh, this is not necessarily ideal. It's not ideal. Like, obviously, like, I would much rather have Chris Tanev playing with Cam York and Tori Krug playing with Ronnie Adderd, obviously. And I think, to their credit, that's what they were trying to do. I just think that, based on what we saw here in 2017, 2018, 2019, even 2021... When we saw Myers playing alongside Ivan Provorov, I don't hate it as much as maybe most do. And more so with Ristolainen because there is no trade protection. He's only signed for another four years. $5 million for a right shot D who can play in your top four. 28 years old isn't egregious. We just saw Damon Severson get signed to the Sanheim contract. You know, and money is going to be more loose, I guess, in coming years. The Sanheim one is tough, obviously. I mean, Sanheim's contract is is market value right now. You this mean the AAV? The, well, pretty much the AAV, the length, the yeah. term. You know, most of these guys, Uyghur's on identical contract. Uh, Severson's there. I mean, guys like Ryan Pulak and Colton Pareko and Hampus Lindholm and Giannis Brodin, these guys are all in very similar monetary length terms for, you know, second pair guys. Oh, it's it's a going rate. It just didn't really make sense to sign. No, like, fuck hell way. no. Especially in fucking opening night last year before John Tortorella saw him for one game, which is really dumb with the benefit of hindsight. But Like, let's say they were a cup contender. Like, they were still in the 2019-20 mold where he was playing really good hockey alongside Justin Braun. It would have made sense. It would have made sense. It's just that 
money's impossible to move right now and the Flyers are in the middle of a rebuild. So it would have made sense to move on from him. And obviously John Tortorella isn't his biggest fan, but Danny Briere is in Sandheim's corner. So maybe this is an instance where Danny Briere is kind of trying to overrule John Tortorella, even though that probably means that John Tortorella is taped to a chair. But, <laughs> but all this to say is like, look, I'm not saying it's a perfect scenario. Obviously there's better scenarios of if you had, you know, Chris Tanev and veteran DX on two to three year contracts to play with these younger kids. I get that. I would much rather that as well. But I mean, I just think it could be worse because I saw it firsthand a few years ago with pro like I much rather have York playing with Risto than I did Provorov playing with McDonald. I much rather have Goss's spear or I much rather have Adderd or Granz playing with Sanheim than I did having Goss's player play with Haig or Foline or Gudis. I guess that's just the point I'm trying to make. I guess. I think it's a, just a pathetically sad low bar. But yeah, I, I, I understand the point you're trying to make. And I do think in Ristolainen's case, like, what, like, do you hate having him being the partner for Cam York? <sighs> hate is too strong of a word. Uh, but, you know, I don't think this guy should be playing you know, 30 minutes a night as your top right-handed defenseman. No. But you also don't have anything close to a backup plan at this point. So uh, you have no choice. Yeah, and you're in a rebuild, right? So, like, you're not expecting... <laughs> Supposedly, if you, number yeah. one def- if you had a number one defenseman, you probably wouldn't be in a rebuild. So, I mean, I- I'm interested to see how they divvy up the minutes, um, specifically Provorov's. Like, I think Provorov got all of his offensive minutes, more or less, taken away last year by Cam York. I th- I'm really expecting Igor Zamula to take a lot of the PK minutes. Um, that's going to be very interesting. I'm curious to see what they do with, like, I wouldn't be surprised if you have probably Travis Sanheim log the most five on five minutes. Uh, I think York is probably going to play the most minutes overall. Risto will probably come in number three or something. And then the, the bottom three is going to be interesting. Like I expect Zamula to get a lot of the PK minutes of Provorov. Like I said, you know, Walker or Sealer will kind of take on those number six minutes, Obviously, this is assuming Adderd plays, but for the sake of argument, I'm going to do so. Ronnie Adderd taking on the Tony D'Angelo minutes is going to be weird. Um, I wonder if he gets power play time. Is Tony D'Angelo moving? Oh, yeah, he's gone. He's uh, July 8th, he's out. So We're 100% sure about that? Yes, 100% sure. Mm. So, I mean... You so Ronnie Adder takes on those D'Angelo minutes, which by the end were not significant in any way. So I mean, uh, Ronnie re- Adder should be the much more re- well-rounded version of D'Angelo, essentially. Exactly, the so offensive I'm- defenseman who can hold his own defensively. If Adder doesn't make this team, I'm going to lose my mind. Now this this is the thought that did not cross my mind. This guy should be the one guy making this team because he's 24 years old and, and ready to go. But uh, yeah, I but I agree. So like. If you go into an opening night next year and your defenses, York, Risto, Sanheim, Adderd, Zamula, Walker, Slash, Sealer, are you happy with that? That is as good as it's going to get given their circumstances, yes. And given what they're going for, you have a left playing... Zamula and Adderd, to me, beyond everyone else on this team, those are the two guys that need NHL ice time next year. There's no excuse for them not playing. 
you know, the forward group, at least the forwards are slightly on the younger side, even Forrester. You know, those are guys, even Forrester, you know, four-year professional vet at this point because of the whole pandemic thing. But those are guys that are still in their freshman, sophomore, junior season at the professional level. They're 20, 21, 22 years old. If they need to marinate front of the year, fine. I don't like it given the parameters of a rebuild that we're in, but fine. It is the Zamula and Adder that are 23, 24 years old. They're going to be 25 and 26 by the time the season's over. You know, you need to to play them. <laughs> and and this whole defense, just the, the, the disaster that it is, and obviously, you know, Sealer played a shit ton of time last season. Now Mark Stahl's here, a Tortorella favorite. You know, even with D'Angelo out of the picture... You know, there, there, there's a lot of bodies back there, and I just don't feel like, you know, Zamula did not get a fair shake at all last season when he was on the roster both times. You know, so, uh, I don't know. Skeptical how this defense shakes out. Hopefully it's for the best and the kids get a, a bulk of the ice time in their specific roles and sides, but I'll believe it when I fucking see it at this point. Yeah, so at this point it's a waiting game, right? It really is a waiting game. Um, you know... <sighs> I think that there's a path here for the defense to work out very well because, like, if Zamula is playing with a walker, you have a left-right on either side. If Sanheim is playing with an adder, you have a left-right. York and Risto, left-right. You know, two veterans in Sealer and Stahl sitting in the press box, which is more than fine as a fourth pair. Maybe they come in in certain instances for matchup purposes. Like you said, like, it's not the end of the world if they tag in here and there. It's just a situation where you don't want, you know, Adderd in the AHL and Zamula as the seven. Zamula as the seventh, Adderd in the AHL, and Stalin Sealer as your every night third pair. Yeah. Holy that, that, shit. That would be where problems start. Yeah. That would be where problems kind of arise. But I'm mean, gonna try and give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, for the most part last year they did a good job of playing the kid. It's not without some, you know, hiccups along the way, but I think that I, you know, I, I think that Ronnie, like, do you think Sanheim's a good partner for Ronnie Adderd? Actually, I don't think so at all. I don't know if I would have those two together. I mean, they're probably going to be if they make the team and be what, but I mean, Sanheim is a not very good defenseman. Quite frankly, not very good offensively either. He's a puck mover. Adderd should be more the Tony D'Angelo offensive guy, though he should be significantly better defensively. I'm trying to imagine these two kind of transition defensemen playing defense on the same pair together. Would you put Adderd with Zamula on the third pair? And then Sanheim with, like, Walker or Sealer? I wouldn't... I think Zamula is going to be a good third pair guy. Like, I don't think there's... There's not a whole lot flashy to his game, but he should be very good. He should be solid. Like, they did not play together much last season in the AHL. They were they were kept apart for the most part. Zamula and Adderd, which I thought was, was an interesting call. Um... But I feel like Zamula and Adderd would be a better pair from a strictly style standpoint than Adderd Sanheim would be. But I don't know if they're going to put out the two kids on the same pair together or not. So Adderd may be going with Sanheim just to break them up and give Zamula with, uh, you know, Sealer or something like that, or Walker. But I'm tr- but from a, a sheer style, uh, stylistic standpoint, I don't know if uh, Sanheim Adderd is going to work very well. I mean, they're going to have a lot of options. Like, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, as I, weird as it sounds, Stahl and Walker would probably make... I mean, Stahl and Adderd would probably make the most sense, would it not? Maybe. Maybe Sealer and Adderd? I wouldn't even hate that. 
Like, Sealer Adder, but then Zamula plays his off. You know, Zamula played his offside his whole NHL career thus far. So, but I think Zamula plays a type of game that playing his offside wouldn't be a bad thing because he's theoretically a... it should be fine. But I think that's where a lot of his hiccups came from last year that that he was making was because he was on the wrong side. Because I actually do think Sanheim Zamula stylistically makes a ton of sense. I could see that. Yeah. Like, I, I just think that stylistically, that's something that would work well going forward. And, you know, long term ish, like, I mean, you also have Bonk, you have Helgi Grons. I don't know what's going to come for Ethan Sampson, but I think at one point you probably see Emil Andre this year as well. So, I mean, if Zamula. Provided he's in North America. Yeah, provided he's in North America. So, like,. I think that Sanheim alongside Zamula would make a lot of sense stylistically. And then you have, like you said, Adderd playing with a sealer or a uh, a Mark Stahl. Yeah, that would be better fit, I think. It's just, and granted, yeah. they've not been afraid to play Zamula. Zamula's played on the right side all last season. York played on the right side all last season because you can't move your darling Nick Sealer over. So, you know, they're, they're clearly not afraid to do that, but, you know, I you want your York, lefties on the left side and righties on the right side, theoretically, but... I think York is going to stick on the left now. Like, I think the one pair... He should be. He should be your top lefty from now till uh, whenever they t- turn on him, which, you know, could be very soon. I, I think that from here, I think the only thing that I would be willing to bet money on defensively is that York and Risto stars as the top pair. I yeah, think I that's think a it's, relatively it's your safe best bet. bet. Everything else is uh, in a complete blender at this point. But yeah, I think your top pair, unquestionably at this point, should be uh, York and Risto, which is a, <laughs> that's a sad little statement right there. But uh, it's weird because that would actually probably be a very good second pair. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I would not hate that as a second pair. Like put York and Risto as the second hair pair behind like, I don't know, Theodore and Pietrangelo. Yeah. It's like a good little think, cleanup crew out there. Yeah, like, and I think maybe long-term that's your play here. Maybe, you know, that's what you're hoping for. That those are your two guys going forward as your second pair. Like, Ristolainen will probably age out in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, he's already 28. His, by the time his contract runs out, he's going to be 32. But, I mean, at least with the defense, you could see it falling in a way that's advantageous to help some defensemen. I guess that's the only thing I would say. If yeah. they play their cards right. You know, the, the the defense is kind of the short-term patchwork of of what's going on here. You know, a lot of these guys that are highlighting the future, you know, Samson, uh, you know, obviously his future is kind of unknown there with the AHL and how he ultimately shakes it at the pro level. But guys like Emil Andre, and I guess they value Helgi Grans to some level, you know, whether he transitions or not, who knows. But, you know, obviously Bonk has a high ceiling and they like Emil Andre, um, provided he's in North America this year because of some stupid bullshit Swedish rule that he may have to go back. But I guess we'll wait and see on that one, TBD, because nobody really knows what's going on there apparently. But, yeah, I, I don't think the long-term pillars of this defense are here um if they have anything to say about it obviously contractually sandheim's here until the goddamn sun burns out and ristolein is here for another four years but i don't think you know maybe even besides cam york and i don't think any of these guys are necessarily long-term pillars maybe zamul and added to work into that role i i think both of them kind of are, are third pair guys in the long haul kind of thing but at the end of the day, you know, those are the two. Zamola and Adder really, really need the ice time here. And just the complete 
chaos of just random bodies on your blue line may uh, end up preventing that. I'm going to be a very unhappy Dan the Flyer fan uh, when that day comes. Yeah, they have options, which is, you know, you have Ginning. Is he going to get a chance? You know, Emil Andre. You have... Ginning was probably, like, not even joking, their best consistent defenseman last season. Ginning was awesome in Lehigh last year. I don't know if he has could got much of an NHL. Could you like a third pair guy? Or... I think he could be a third player, a uh, third pair guy. You know, if you get some traumatic injuries on that blue line, you know, and you need a plug in for a couple weeks, I think Ginning can handle that role. I don't think he's got a significantly high ceiling. I don't think it's more than kind of a third pair shutdown guy. But I really liked Ginning last year in Lehigh. You know, as he was one of those guys that everybody wrote off because he's tall. You know, he's zero ceiling, he sucks, worst Ron Hextall draft pick, and in the end of the day, there's a possibility he may be in the upper echelon of Ron Hextall draft picks that have come through this system, um, which is, you know, sad state of affairs these days, I suppose. But, yeah, you know, I would not be surprised if injuries happen if we see getting in the NHL at some point. I guess that Zamula should be looking over his shoulder at getting, right? Like, that's the guy that will come for his job if he can't lock it down. I guess. I think in the short term, just because York and Sanum are locked up, probably Andre's the guy there he's most concerned about at this point is, is stealing his job imminently. But, you know, well, stylistically speaking, yeah, yeah, Ginning would be the guy. Yeah. Helgi Grants, I'm, I'm interested to hear how he plays this year. Yeah, I, I don't know much about him, but he was a high second round pick at one point. Yeah, I'm still, what, 21 years old, two years left in his ELC. And uh, I assume he's going to play second pair behind... Louis Belpetto and ahead of uh, Ethan Sampson there. So um, six foot four, two oh five. Baby. Ethan Sampson, that's uh that's another sneaky before we wrap it up, I just want to give a bit of Brent Flair love here. I think it's a do. Yeah, for sure. Like we know that he was Chuck Fletcher's right hand man. We know that he was guilty by association a lot of times, but you've seen his work firsthand being a season ticket holder like are you like i think he's been knocked down a few pegs in the pecking order in that front office i think obviously jones has surpassed him breers surpassed him alan mccauley i think has surpassed him probably john tortorella in a lot of ways but if you just keep brent flair as someone to oversee the amateur scouting and the draft do you have an issue with it based on what you've seen no uh, you know uh, this guy is significantly better than hextall and chris Pryor ever were and it's not even particularly close, and we have not even seen a bulk of the talent that they have drafted at the at the professional level yet. Um, you know, so many of these guys, the caliber of prospect in Lehigh right now is just so much better and so much more well-rounded than a lot of the Hextall guys were. You know, I will attest that Phil Myers remains the best player I've ever seen with my own two eyes in Lehigh. The guy was so much fun, but it was the stuff that they... The stuff that made him fun was the stuff that ultimately forced him to fail at the NHL level. Was It was just too one-sided. They didn't develop these guys. They they didn't try and get the most out of them. And the, you know, the kind of the boomer bust, random, you know, picks, trying to be the smartest guy in the room. And all that was just miserable failures. You know, these draft picks are just 
consistently looking very, very good. And, you know, as we talked about earlier on in the show, there is not a whole lot of graduation at forward this year. You know, I'm not even, I don't know, without, without, you know, going through this uh, player by player, I think Avon may be the only forward that's making the jump, you know, but on defense, you know, Andre hopefully is playing in North America, probably makes it in the AHL. I don't think he's making the NHL at a camp unless he's got no choice in the NHL or, or Sweden, but even then, who knows? But, you know, guys like Samson are going to be interesting. You know, Emil Andre's here. Like, just the caliber of prospect, it is not a coincidence that the Phantoms are kind of going through their own renaissance right now. It is because all these prospects are showing up, and they're all so friggin' good, you know. And it's about, uh, you know, the transition to the NHL level, which is the, the biggest question that I have had for a little while here, and... You know, with some of these guys getting boxed out on the main roster this time around, it's very frustrating. But as a Phantom season ticket holder, as somebody who's down there, you know, I'm going to get a good product this year. Um, I know that for sure at this point. So we'll see, obviously, as the, you know, process continues and the development and whatnot. But overall, the quality of prospect that Flair has managed to bring onto this team is significantly higher than his predecessors have been. And I sure hope he sticks around, um, you know, for the foreseeable future here. Um, under this uh, new Bria regime, I think he has. A, I think he's done enough to prove that because I think that even to this point, you've seen that the Fletcher Flair picks have paid dividends for the most part. Even yeah. to this point, yeah, like you know, Forrester, Denye, um was Luxell one of their picks or is that Hextall? I think it was a Hextall guy. So I mean, we'll we'll definitely Ronnie Adderd, He was one. So I mean, Kolosov. So, I mean, it's going to, uh, I think that they're in good hands in that department, and it's just the overall vision that needed uh, a facelift, which clearly that they've gotten already. Yeah, Lexell was the Nolan Patrick draft. Ah, uh, okay, okay. There's another guy that can make the NHL this year. Nolan Patrick? Well, you know, <laughs> Stanley Cup champion Nolan Patrick, Anthony. I think he's You will address him properly. I think he's over. I think it's over for him. Yeah, probably. Golden Knights didn't qualify him. I can't imagine anybody. I mean, I guess if he ever wanted to come back or you know healthy enough to come back, I'm sure somebody would take a risk on him. But yeah, he's probably done. But yeah, Lexel could. Uh, Lexel's another guy that could make it. Fucking awesome in Lehigh last year. Point per game. Well, I think he actually finished just shy of point per game, but he was a point per game all season long. It sucks to say, but it's probably. You know, I'm not even going to say it. It's just so bad. So I don't want to get radioed. Well, that's all the moves as of right now. Um, Flyers have three RFAs to re-sign yet. Cates, Frost, and York. And uh, beyond that, I would assume pretty much everything is done for the summer. I guess you got a couple of these depth guys too. Adderd and uh, Lexel need new contracts as RFAs as well. But... You know, we'll wait and see at this point. See how things shake out. I guess the stories going into camp at this point are going to be the health of Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson and whether or not guys like Forrester can make the main roster and what ultimately happens with his defense. But, you know, now it's... Uh, they made their bed this offseason. Now they just got to lay in it when it comes to uh, deployments of their roster uh, during the regular season. So, you know... Uh, Probably, and by the standards of a rebuild, I think we're probably looking at a very similar outcome to this season. You know, this is a team that is not good enough to win. They're not making the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to be a bottom three team. Um, unless they end up playing Mark Stahl every night, in which case it's possible that they kind of <laughs> suck. But, you know, 
7 to 10 finish, and my guess is you're not going to find somebody as good as Matvey Mitchkov in that spot next year, which is, you know, the, the ultimate bigger problem here. But, uh, you know, we'll burn that friggin' bridge when we get there, right, Anthony? Yeah, I, uh, you know what? A lot of it is going to be dependent on Matvey Mitchkov, I think. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. So, I guess we'll call it a day here. Uh... I'm going to have a whole bunch of shows coming up over the next little while. I'm going to pre-record my little heart out here for the next week and a half or so and then take a couple weeks off. Um, but we've got the best of uh, Flyer Side Chats coming for those parts. i got a whole bunch of those pre-recorded. Everyone, Every show is going to get a chance to come back on freaking Flyers next week. Um, so everyone will get their say as the summertime approaches. And uh, yeah. At Dan the Flyer Van, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. Plenty of stuff on the website, brotherlypuck.com. You can check that out. And um, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter if they don't know already? <laughs> you can find me <laughs> at adamarco25. All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.